Hi, everyone. Welcome to the fifth ever Socks in the City podcast. I'm your host, Sam. I'm Will. Uh, and today we'll be talking briefly about the pitch clock, World Baseball Classic, and mostly doing a spring training update. Uh, fair warning, we have not seen the final game of the World Baseball Classic. It is in like an hour right now. So I'm going to predict. I think I'm going to take a U.S. takes a lead in the ninth inning, whether that be walk-off or however, and, and just holds it. I, I think that the U.S. wins, but it's a close game all the way through. Yeah, I, I have to go for a dominant U.S. victory. I think that, I mean, as as great as the Japan story has been, I just think just the USA firepower, I think they're going to start off hot and just I think they're going to try and show the world that the USA is the best team in baseball. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I just, the U.S. is pitching so weak. I, I know it's kind of a tired point just to say that U.S. pitching is bad, but it is so bad. I mean, the, Japan has Shohei Otani and Hugh Darvish presumably pitching, and we have Miles Mikolas, Adam Wainwright. I like I I couldn't tell you who's pitching tonight, and I I that's a bad thing. Merrill Kelly, so obviously not huge. the The difference I think is we have just significantly better relievers. At least one, Devin Williams, I think. With Edwin Diaz injuries, probably the gonna have the best, gonna be the best reliever in all of baseball this year. I think the the relief pitching is really gonna make a difference. I think we have the edge in relief pitching, and so I don't know. It, it might be close, but I just I just think the U.S. is gonna. I believe in the U.S. I think we're gonna pull it off. I could see it going either way with the firepower in both sides lineup. I don't have faith with either side's pitching. I. I trust Japan a little more, but I, do I trust you, Darvish, to shut down? Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Goldschmidt, Arenado. No, <laughs> I mean no. I don't. I don't trust Shohei to do it either. So, it's it'll be a great game. I, yeah. No, I'm gonna stick firm with my USA like slight win. Yeah, I just think I think you look at the outside of pitching. You look at the United States roster and like your worst player is Kyle Schwarber at DH. It's just it's just so stacked. Well, conceivably could be the MVP conversation. You have a lot of those guys on the United States roster. I think you just have that much talent. They'll find a way to overcome when it matters. So, yeah. Biggest, biggest playoff game of Mike Trout's career. Um, we are fresh off the heels of Japan, Mexico, and the Masataka game. I mean, an incredible game. One of the best baseball games I've ever seen. Back and forth the entire time. Really exciting all the way through. A lot of offense. Uh, walk off. It's it's a scripted game. Like It is so perfectly set out to be exactly what you want in a baseball game. It's really incredible. Uh, for anyone who still thinks that this is meaningless baseball, please, I mean, go watch that game. It's one of the best examples of a baseball game you will ever find. Yeah, I mean that was it was super fun to watch. It's a little disappointing for me. I was kind of rooting for Mexico there, but like you got to see pretty much everything you want to see at a baseball game. You got big hits, you have great defensive plays, you have a Rosarena deciding to be you have that one guy who decides to be the best playoff baseball player you've ever seen. And so it was just it was it was pretty ridiculous just how good it was. And then we get another game of that another game of like really important baseball that means a lot to the players and to the fans today 
really special experience. And it's something that I think more and more baseball fans are kind of realizing and just, you know, great for Red Sox fan to watch our, our guys hit really well. So just absolutely phenomenal all around. Yeah, I, I do want to take a moment and just talk about how Masataki Yoshida hit. I think it was a curveball, just bottom left of the zone, perfectly placed for a 370-foot home run. I, I There's not a lot of players in baseball that can do that. And to have one on the roster for that contract looks very good. I mean, granted, he hasn't seen, I don't know, some of the best pitchers in baseball. Got, we don't know how he's going to do against Jacob DeGrom. But he just he just faced Patrick Sandoval and was excellent. He had, he was two for two against him. I don't think he got out against Sandoval. Yeah, he was he was phenomenal. Like that that one swing, like you're saying, it was like kind of looked like a. It did not really look like a baseball swing, but he he took that thing deep, and I think that's kind of for Yoshida. I think people are kind of realizing that. Wait a second, this guy might be even better than he was kind of originally projected because it's looking like that power as he kind of showcased is even better than what we initially thought it was. And so if he brings that like sort of upgraded part of the majors, and I think you're kind of starting to see it like fan graphs is fan graphs is updating their, their projections. Yeah. Especially I, I know I've said it before, but his frame, I, I just, if someone who's six foot four can barely hit that out every once in a while, I just, I don't understand how he generates that much power being five, seven, five, eight. It's really unbelievable. I, he's going to be so fun to watch for the next five years. I know it's it's just such a fun like pickup. Like I think kind of now again, people are catching on that. Oh man, the Red Sox had Yoshida. The next story of talented Japanese baseball players coming to the U.S. and it looks really really good. Yeah, I I really wanted to say Suzuki last year, and I think that Suzuki does have better defense than. Um, Yoshida does but I think that Yoshida's defense is also solid I just I'm at the point where I don't know what I don't like and it's kind of like it's almost nerve-wracking that I kind of need to know what goes wrong because it can't be as perfect as it seems he has to I don't know not be able to hit as well against lefties as I think because but right now it just seems like everything is perfectly falling into place he looks like the ideal cleanup hitter yeah it's just I think he's a phenomenal talent. Defense, again, that's kind of the worrisome. Fenway Park is obviously a really weird park to play defense in, so maybe we'll have some problems there. But, yeah, I mean, just kind of, again, best-case scenario for Yoshida, this is what it looks like. Like, just overall in the tournament, he's batting. I think his on-base percentage is over 500. He's batting over 400 for an entire tournament against some of the top players in the world. And, I mean, that's just perfect for what you want from Yoshida. So, again, you're kind of right. It is kind of – he's not going to hit that good for a full season. He's obviously not going to hit 400 for a full season or be on base half the time. But it is really going to be fun to see what he turns out to be in the majors. And then we're going to move on to the pitch clock. Will we're way deeper into the spring training uh, games to – we were the last time we recorded a podcast. Do you have any updated like thoughts on the pitch clock? Yeah, I, mean, I think sort of the pitch clock has just become a lot less of a story. Like kind of as players have been adjusted to it, you're not you're not seeing the people striking out from it. You're not really, you're not really seeing any of that. So I think I think again it's kind of been implemented 
pretty pretty well at this point, and hopefully it'll be continued. People continue to get adjusted to it, but it, it's you kind of compare it. I think the biggest story now is you're comparing it the time of the games to the World Baseball Classic, which doesn't have that pitch clock. And the World Baseball Classic games, they're phenomenal, but sometimes, like some of the earlier pool stages, like games would go on for a long time, and you just weren't saying that in spring training games. So I think it's kind of even more smoothly part of the game now, and I think it is a good change. It's going to be shorter. It's a long season, so I think it's going to allow people to, especially after this hype of the World Baseball Classic, I think people are going to see the shorter game times and be like, oh, of course, I, I can fit that in in my schedule to watch that game. So I think it's just going to be great for viewership overall. Yeah, I agree. I think that the World Baseball Classic going from like the early spring training games into the pool stage games was like uh, night and day. But the later stages, the quarterfinals, semifinals, and I presume tonight feel like postseason baseball. They don't feel like whatever the early pool stage was. It it genuinely every game is sold out. Everyone cares about it. I I'm almost certain that it's going to be the most watched baseball game of all time, and I know that the environment is going to be like representative of that fact. It's going to be extremely fun. But your regular 162 game in an in an MLB season is not going to be this level of environment. You need to help speed it along. I, I understand the argument a lot more now that we have this like distinct difference between the World Baseball Classic and that kind of postseason environment and like the, the spring training games because the spring training games need that pitch clock. I mean, need that pitch clock. Uh, but the World Baseball Classic, I understand not having it. You don't need it. And like last night, I didn't feel like it was slow at all. Uh, it was very fun. I just I, if you haven't I don't know how you haven't but if you haven't seen that game it is the perfect ideal like if you were to draw up a perfect baseball game that would be it mm-hmm. yeah exactly and the thing about the world baseball classic is you you just you can't kind of you can't take what works in the world baseball classic and pu- pu- just put it in the MLB format because there's that the single elimination game versus the best out of seven it's a very different thing and obviously each game is kind of a little bit less like a single game elimination it's win or go home every single time and so even if it's a longer game i think fans are a lot more willing to like be invested in that because you know this is it this is if we lose like we're out of the tournament and i think the one thing they might consider is they might look at the playoffs for the world baseball classic and say okay they didn't have the, the pitch clocks. So they might be more lenient in the MLB playoffs as well when they review the rules. But again, I just think I think the pitch clock is, is a rule that while it might not work for all of baseball and all types of baseball, I think for Major League Baseball, for spring training, you definitely need it. Regular season, it's going to be good. Postseason, I think probably still be there in some capacity. And I think it'll be good for baseball for Major League Baseball in particular, because it's something that they kind of needed to address. And so even though the World Baseball Classic didn't have that and is super successful, I still think it's a good rule to have for this kind of different variety now of baseball. Live update, Rob Manfred has said that some adjustments to the new rules will be announced in the next few days. Uh, We are just talking about this as we found out about this. 
thought, yeah, not surprised. We were talking about it. I expect there'll probably be about three to five seconds added for the batter or added for the pitcher. And I don't even know. Uh, three extra seconds added for the batter. I don't know how much more time you can give other than like letting him go down to five seconds uh, before they have to be alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing, one thing I heard about it that I kind of really liked is maybe changing the a pitch clock violation at, instead of being a strike, being a considered like a, a foul ball, which would mean that if you do have two strikes, then a pitch clock violation wouldn't be a strikeout. That's kind of an intriguing option if they want to make it so you still have the, the pitcher still has to strike the batter out. I mean, obviously, it's kind of a little bit unfair. It shifts the advantage over the batter a little bit more. But yeah, I don't I don't really think there's much changing to be done. Kind of they can the MLB has obviously been looking at how the pitch clock's been implemented in every single spring training game. I have not watched every single spring training game. So I do think that it's gonna be it's just small tweaks at this point, nothing major. Like they're not gonna get rid of it or anything. So I mean it'll be interesting to see what changes, but it it shouldn't be that much. Yeah, see, I'm a sicko. I have been to every single Red Sox home spring training game. Uh, it's I don't know why. It's fun to go to them, but some of them do drag on a little bit. I think that the pitch clock, I've been to this spring training before. The pitch clock has helped tremendously. I'm not sure that I would support any major deviation. I think that three extra three seconds when there's no one on, like – Having 18 seconds instead of the 15, I think that would be okay. But like anything bigger than that, I'm not sure because it has really helped speed up the game. And I know that diehard baseball fans are a little upset. I've seen people mad about it on the timeline, I or on Twitter timeline. I just, I think that it's really good for the sport, like the World Baseball Classic. I think that it's just going to help, uh, especially the younger crowds, but even the older crowds. I mean. Not everyone has four hours that they can carve out of their day to watch a baseball game, especially if they don't care particularly that much about baseball. Having the games hard capped in like three hours, or most of them being two and a half hours, is really good for the sport. I, I just, I, I don't know about adding time. We'll see. I mean, as always, we'll see. And then another thing is, yeah, I just think the shorter games as well is, people kind of have worried about what the fan experience is going to games kind of what you've mentioned is it hasn't you haven't really noticed it that much but one thing I've sort of been thinking about is they're long games they they take a while and they take a lot of time but if I were able to go to a baseball game and that and it'd be it'd be a shorter experience I could kind of you could go after school you could go after work or anything and then it's not as much of a commitment I think that will lead to more like more people in the stadiums and especially for teams that have had a lot of trouble getting people in stadiums, like namely athletics are terrible at it. Tropicana, the the Rays have trouble with it. And so I think getting people to kind of realize that going to a baseball game instead of being, yeah, this is, this will take up your whole night. It's more of a, Oh, you can go to a baseball game and it'll be a, there'll be a kind of a time limit set on it. I think that'll encourage people to, not only watch more games on the TV or whatever, but actually go in person as well. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Then we're going to move on to other assorted spring training notes. First, we're going to talk about the rotation. 
the opening day starter, I guess, as everyone knows by now, is Corey Kluber. He has looked absolutely electric in the starts that I've seen. And I know that Chris Hatfield has also said that out of everyone that he's seen, Kluber has looked the best. I mean, it is just night and day between what, what you would expect from a guy with a 4-5 or, or whatever he had last year. He looks like his old self. I'm, I know that everyone has been, you know, kind of going crazy over Twitter on Twitter about it. He's probably not going to hit 95 in game. I don't know what was, what was up with that. I don't think it was a hot gun. He might have been doing something, you know, different. But he's sitting in the ninety, sitting in the eighties. I think he can reach ninety three with the four seam, but he doesn't throw the four seam all that much. He's typically throwing cutter sinkers. I, I whatever he's doing, it looks electric, and batters are not barreling him that often. I, he, out of everyone that I've seen throughout spring training, I he's one or two of the best pitchers that I've seen. And that's including guys like Grayson Rodriguez. He he absolutely outdueled Bruce Grayson Rodriguez in the times that I've seen them. Yeah, Kluber is definitely it's it's really exciting to watch. I mean, just to see that he has that capability to to hit those kind of the ninety three. I mean, hitting ninety five again is kind of like it's such an absurd thing that I'm kind of wondering. Okay, did it happen? Is the gun wrong? Is StatCast giving me wrong information? But yeah, like you're saying, even if you just kind of disregard that, just the way he's been pacing has been great. He hasn't had the Chris Sale kind of get hit a lot, get hard contact games. And so as an opening day starter, I mean, he's healthy. He's pitching great. Why not? I think kind of one thing that sort of is kind of talked about a little bit is like the sort of the driveline thing is a lot of players have kind of credited driveline, which is this sort of company that helps players develop. And a lot of people are kind of attributing their success to driveline, like Kluber saying he's being able to pitch better or pitch, I mean, throw faster earlier because of it. Tapia, I think, went to driveline and kind of he looks like he's instead of drilling the ball into the ground every time, actually making really good contact. So I think an underrated storyline is if the Red Sox, who hired a bunch of driveline guys, if it could be a, maybe a little bit of a step up in the development system the Red Sox have, which really just bodes well for a ton of prospects we have and any veterans coming in. Because, I mean, if we can create one of those classic either like Dodgers or Rays pitching labs where you bring in old guys and suddenly they they look like a Cy Young candidate, like that's a kind of underrated storyline, I think, from the offseason. And it's kind of really good look for the Red Sox so far. Yeah, absolutely. I, I... If we can get to that raise Dodgers level, we are getting those veterans. I know we've kind of started it with the um, John Schreiber, the White Mills Project, some of the other guys that we've acquired. I, it's obviously not to the level, like you said, of the race. Um, but as you talked about a little bit, Chris Sale did get hit around today by the Baltimore Orioles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a it, – it's there's been kind of some worrying things for Chris Sale. Obviously, it's, it's spring training, so it still doesn't mean that much. Like, it's not something I'd be too worried about. But obviously, now you like to hear – and kind of going back to last year as well, there was that whole incident when he was in, he was doing a rehab assignment in the minors, didn't pitch great, destroyed a TV, was caused some headlines. But it's kind of a – it's a little bit it's a little bit worrying because obviously you want your 
pitchers to be pitching well and spring training isn't a particularly intense environment. So hopefully you'd be, they'd be doing better, but I think it's just a, it's an adjustment period to get back. And especially when you're dealing with a lot of injuries, Chris Sale hasn't really consistently been able to pitch like over the past few years. And so I think although worrying, I think it's probably to be expected. And we, um, and Chris Sale is kind of, he's a lock for, obviously he's a lock for a roster spot. So I don't think there's really that much of a story here. And it's the time to be worried is if he starts pitching like this during the season, then yeah, we should be worried. But at, at this point, it's, I don't, it's not really much of a story. To your point, he's definitely earned his spot in the rotation for, uh, until he's not on the roster anymore. Um, sometimes guys, when they start get their get their guaranteed rotation spot, will experiment in spring training games. We've seen it with Max Scherzer. We've seen it with a few other guys. Uh, I I can't say for certain because I didn't watch the game if that's what he was doing. Uh, all I really read was that he was hitting 95, 96 on the gun and had some mechanical issues, but I, I, like you said, we'll wait until the regular season to worry about it. Brian Bayo, Garrett Whitlock, and James Paxson are all expected to start the season on the I.L. Whitlock is going to miss one turn of the rotation. Bayo, I think, is going to miss two, is what I read earlier today. Paxson, I'm not sure on his timeline. All three of them had good camps up until the point where they got injured. I'm not really worried about any of them. Uh, missing one or two turns in the rotation to start off the year is not something I care about, honestly, with the pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially especially with the emergence of, like, Cutter Crawford, Joshua Ken- Winkowski, uh, and Tanner Houck that can start for one or two of these games. I'm not worried about it at all. Yeah. Like, obviously, again, you'd want these guys healthy to start the season, but it's probably it's better to be cautious versus – forcing guys to ramp up too quickly and causing more long-term injuries. Bale, I mean, he's kind of started to come back. He he pitched an inning, looked looked phenomenal in that inning. So I'm not worried about Bale. Whitlock as well. I'm not worried about him. But yeah, kind of like you were saying, those those fringe roster guys, I've kind of been I'm a cutter Crawford enjoyer. I like him. I think if you look if you look at his stat cast last year, it was one of the better ones on the team. It was kind of – it went Uvalde, Crawford, in terms of, like, the expected stats and all that, and Bale pretty much. And so I think I think Crawford's kind of underrated. He kind of did get overexposed last year, which is for a rookie pitcher who's not a really top prospect. It's what you should expect. And so I think it'll be good to get those guys some, some sort of bulkings out of the way, kind of really get some more clarification about whether they can be a starter or if they're going to be in the bullpen or whatever. So it's good to get those guys spot starts kind of early, and then we'll see if maybe we need to – if we can rely on those guys for those spot starts when people get injured like later in the season, or if you're going to have Mata, Walter, all those younger guys, whether they're going to be able to fill those spots really quickly. So I think it'll be obviously not the perfect situation, but I think it'll still be fun. I don't think that the Red Sox pitching is going to look too horrible – for the first two first yeah few times for the rotation, even with those injuries. One weird thought experiment is what do we do in a month's time if the rotation is healthy? I mean, it's kind of weird to think about it like that. But if you have James Paxton, Garrett Whitlock, and Brian Dale, along with all those other guys that we just mentioned, uh, we haven't even talked about Nick Pavetta. 
Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, are you going to option Bayo? Are you going to move Whitlock to the bullpen to start James Paxton? It's just, if everyone's healthy, it becomes kind of an issue. Yeah, it's the Red Sox have re- like they they prepare for this scenario like they're they're carrying seven starters maybe even more going into spring training, and now there's injuries and instead of looking like wow what are the Red Sox are doing it's looking like wow look Heim had some great insight we needed a lot of starters because these possible injuries for these guys, but yeah it's it's kind of be it's a weird situation where there are there's kind of too many starters, and so something's gonna have to give at some point. Whether it's injuries, whether yeah, guys going to AAA bullpen, I think the worst thing you could probably do, in my opinion, is to move Bayo back down to AAA. I think that would just be a mistake to take one of your more talented pitchers on the roster and just kind of stick them down AAA, especially when we're trying to win a lot of games this year. But yeah, you might have to. You might have to try to some guy try some guys and as a reliever, maybe look at trades really early on in the season. Because there is going to be at some point that roster crunch at it for the for the starting pitching, and it's going to probably make some guys upset who want to start. But it's kind of a yeah, it's it's a weird situation, and I don't think there's a very clear solution as of right now. It, it is kind of weird if you were to move Bayo down to AAA, you have one guy in that rotation that's not a prospect, and I I'm not sure that's ever been an issue in AAA. I, it's a ridiculous kind of problem that's not really a problem that have to have too many high minor pitching prospects. Um, well, well, we can trans, uh, we can go right into that. Brian Mata, Chris Murphy, and Brandon Walter have all been demoted to AAA. I, as far as I know, I, they're going to stay in AAA. I don't think any of them are going to get called up for the opening day roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's some there's some talk about maybe. With injuries, some of the guys being brought up, maybe in a relief role or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of it's look like they're gonna stay there. They're gonna start off in AAA. Maybe we have the best AAA team in the country. We'll see. But yeah, so it's it's kind of a those guys looked good. I think that was probably what you want to see out of them in spring training. And still, they're they're headed back to AAA to start the season. So we're not gonna see them just quite yet. The one that I really want to see later in the year is Brian Mata. His stuff is just so incredible. We got a glimpse of it during spring training. But once you get to the second or third turn of the rotation, it just diminishes significantly. Um, we'll see if he can stick as a starter. If he can't, he might be the best like uh, midseason addition that we're going to get. He is such a good pitcher. I think that if he can be added to this bullpen, He's going to be just a tremendous value to the team. But but obviously, you would prefer that he start. It's just he's in this awkward situation where no matter what he does, I'm not sure if it's going to be the best move. Because you obviously want him to start, but he's going to be so in the pen. It's just such a weird conundrum. I, I, it's a good problem to have, but it, it'll be a fun it'll be fun to see how it plays out come August. Yeah, and that that's kind of the question for Mata that, that's kind of kept our – basically the Red Sox pitching low on people's radar for, radar for prospects is that is Mata a starter or is he a reliever? What's kind of end up as? Because he, he isn't just a – he isn't a lock for being a starter, even though that's probably what people would like him to be. And, yeah, like you are saying, it's just can he develop in such a way that you can give him consistent starts and he'll able to maintain his stuff 
through the rotation multiple times. But yeah, it's it's kind of not it's it's a pretty win-win situation overall because you're either going to get a a good starter or a good reliever, hopefully. I mean, obviously prospects aren't they're 100% but that, that's pretty much what you're working with is, is he going to be just a starter or a reliever? That's the main question with him as opposed to is this kid talented or not? So I do think, I don't know, I'm kind of, I am hoping he'll figure it out and that he can be consistent starter for the future. But yeah, like you're saying, there are that, there is that kind of big question mark in him is can he stay a starter at the MLB level? Yeah, I, I, Know that when we talked to Ed Hand, he was a little bit low on the idea of moving Bond to the bullpen, like come August. I'm really high on that idea. I think that he's going to be an electric reliever when he makes it to Boston. If it obviously, granted that if he doesn't start, it, no matter what, I'm really excited for him. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think I'm also probably a bit low about the bullpen idea. I think we could see the sort of the follower idea where you throw out a reliever or somebody, just another starter, to pitch the first few innings and then, well, let's see how far Mata can go and then do something like that, which would kind of be a, a little bit of a blend of a reliever and a starter. But, again, I think it's kind of a win-win. You're just going to either have a good reliever or a good starter. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then moving on to position players before we settle out on the bullpen. Right now, the, the catching tandem is Reese McGuire, and people are presuming Jorge Alfaro because of the bat. Uh, Connor Wong looks like he probably will be ready come opening day. I don't like Jorge Alfaro as being the third catching option. What do you think? I, I kind of disagree. I do like Alfaro. I kind of I liked him when he was in San Diego. I mean, clutch hitter. <laughs> you can say that about him. But I think – yeah, I think I think the bat's gonna carry him on to being that third catcher. And I think as third catchers go, it's a really good one. It is kind of a I, I would I would rather see both Wong and Maguire being that that tandem for the full year and not having to worry about catcher number three. But I do think that I would I would like to see like Alfaro obviously has the option. I don't know if that's passed yet, but there's in his contract has the option to to opt out and go find a better place. And I would hope that he would stay with the Red Sox. But again, it's kind of a there isn't too much separating Maguire or Alfaro. So I'm again I'd prefer Maguire and Wong, but I, I still would like to keep Alfaro around. I think that the option for him is March 26th, maybe the 30th. I'm not 100%, but it's definitely later this week uh, or next, early next week. Uh, I just, Jorge Alfaro's defense, I didn't realize how terrible of a defender he is. I'm, I'm straight up not sure if I would rather have him or Caleb Hamilton just because Hamilton can feel the position. Alfaro, I just, I would rather have him as like the first base left field DH type. Kind of like what Justin Turner is. I I, I just I can't justify him putting like placing him behind the plate, especially with the obvious push towards catcher defense. Reese McGuire and Connor Wong are both very solid defenders, and they cut Ronaldo Hernandez because he wasn't a good defender. They had no. He's a solid bat, 
but he cannot defend. He's in the same vein as Jorge Alfaro. So I just I, I don't understand why they would cut a guy who can't can't catch but can hit to add Jorge Alfaro to the roster. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I genuinely think that I would prefer Caleb Hamilton over Jorge Alfaro at this point. And if Jorge Alfaro does leave, I'll I mean obviously I'll be disappointed. I really like Aquaman. I think that he's a very fun player, but I just don't think that he could be our second catcher. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty valid point. Like his defense is questionable. It's just, yeah, I, I'm kind of hoping, yeah, he can be at least like he hasn't obviously shown it, but you're kind of hoping he can be serviceable as a defender. It's it, it is a question mark. It's just kind of like I think all the catchers we have now are pretty much just question marks in one thing or another. Like McGuire, you're wondering. Can this guy actually hit like or was kind of his thing with the Red Sox last season? Was that a fluke or was that legit? And Wong obviously wanted can can this guy hit? Alfaro is more of a can this guy catch? And it's kind of a it's really up to the front office to decide what they kind of want the question mark to be. So I think probably if you have one of the guys, Wong or uh, McGuire struggling, I do think Alfaro. Just because he does, he does bring value in his hitting. Like I, I would like to have him there to be able to take over. Like Caleb Hamilton, I just think there's too many question marks all over for him. Versus Alfaro, like I'd rather have the guy who's been in the majors and has at least some experience pitching, or with major league pitching. So it's it is a lot of question marks. There's nothing kind of certain there, but I, I, I would have Alfaro as the third catcher, and if. I don't know, McGuire or Wong happens to, to not work out. I, I probably – I'll be fine with him as our second catcher. Obviously not an ideal situation. It's something you need to address next year, obviously, if one of those doesn't work out. To, we need to get, get another catcher in here. But, yeah, for now it's just kind of a wait and see. We'll keep Alfaro as the third guy and then kind of hope that the one and two can prove that they're a legit one and two and should be on this roster for a long time. We'll see if they can get Adley. <laughs> yeah, obviously, Adley Bruchman, we want him. Okay. Yeah, wait, oh, wait, wait. How do you say it? I thought it was Bruchman. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's, it's just Bruchman. I just, I just kind of blend all of the consonants together, so sorry <laughs> for him if I'm mispronouncing his name. I don't think I've ever, heard, I've ever heard someone say it that way. I don't know if it's wrong. I just thought it was Rushman. Yeah, I'm, really... I'm I'm headed in that direction of saying it that way. But, yeah, um, that's the problem is there's too many names in baseball. I'm bound to get a few of them wrong. <laughs> uh, the infielders, there's nothing particularly interesting with the infielders. Kike Hernandez is back from the World Baseball Classic. Um, Christian Royal is still starting second baseman. I haven't seen or heard anything about Alberto Mondesi in weeks. H- have you heard anything about the guy? Yeah, so I, I've been on Mondesi watch, and basically all I've heard is he's continuing to progress, starts season on IL. So he is there. He is confirmed to be there at the Red Sox spring training, and he looks like he's kind of getting back into it. There's been a couple of videos of him and all that stuff, but – yeah, it does look like it's gonna be it's gonna be a minute before we see Mondesi and Kike and Arroyo. Arroyo 
kind of yeah he not, not really much with the Royal Kike. You've kind of started to see the fact that he hasn't played shortstop a little bit. There was the talking baseball post of him airmailing a. I mean, it was a tough grounder, so understandable. He's obviously taking chances in spring training, but you're kind of realizing that okay, he might might be a little bit of an adjustment period at shortstop. But again, it's kind of what we expected, so there's really nothing too notable out of that whole sector. I, I, the Kike Hernandez defense, like he's an excellent defender. It's just he, he messed the throw up. I mean, would you say that Wander Franco uh, is a bad defender? I, I, I don't think that he's a negative. I, I just think it's, I, I don't know. I think that they're both fine defenders. I think Kike's got a little bit better range, uh, much yeah. better arm. It's just, uh, you know, one bad play doesn't mean anything. I don't know. I'm <laughs> not worried about Kike Hernandez's defense at all. Yeah, that kind of plays. It's, yeah, he did. He he showed the range. I do think. I think it is a little bit of an adjustment. Like I, th- I think that's a play that he'll be making pretty consistently, especially in the latter half of the season if he's playing shortstop consistently. So I'm, I'm not worried. I think it's just this is what spring training's for. Is I, I want Kike to be doing the most ridiculous stuff he can do in spring training to see sort of what his limits are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then moving to the outfield. Not too much of note from spring training notes. Obviously, Masataka Yoshida was in the World Baseball Classic. Um, to, in his stead, we had a few different guys. Uh, Narciso Crook and Greg Allen, uh, not going to make the roster. Uh, some of the guys that did do some interesting stuff. Rob Bresnader has warmed up a little bit, but still has looked not as good as he was last year. Uh, something to watch, but I'm not particularly worried about it. He's, you know, fourth outfielder. I, I can only be so worried about him. Yeah. And I think I think it's kind of the basic, basically, again, just people kind of getting warmed in spring training. The one the one thing of note is is kind of Verdugo is kind of becoming more a little bit more of a question mark. Just because he, like, in his stint with Mexico in the World Baseball Classic, I, I wouldn't say it went well for him. Like, a lot of people kind of – like, the last game, he had a nice little bounce back hit, I think, an RBI double. But they're still kind of – he wasn't hitting particularly great in the World Baseball Classic. And so one thing to watch there, I think, is if Verdugo starts off the season cold and if that lasts a while, I just don't think there's that much of a of – too much role for him because, again, there's a lot of lefties in the lineup. And Verdugo, again, I kind of reportedly doesn't have too – like he has some critics within the Red Sox organization. So with guys like like Tapia playing well, there is that kind of question of does Verdugo become just that really movable piece? And I think spring training he hasn't really – he hasn't made a compelling case that, oh, wow, this guy looks really hot in spring training. I, he could obviously be hot going into the season, but it's just kind of a – I kind of hope for a little bit more from Verdugo, kind of just prove it that he should be there. And I haven't really seen that. It's obviously a grain of salt because it isn't actual season yet, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I – it's hard to believe that at times he was batting cleanup last year. And now he might be the fourth best hitting lefty on the lineup. Uh, it's it's 
dramatic adjustment. I, I, it sounds weird to say it, but there's a universe where he's hitting like eighth in, in a two months' time. I, I, I don't know if it'll come to that. He might force his way back up. But if Yoshida and Devers are, are Devers is two and Yoshida is four, you have to have Cassis above Verdugo, in, in, in my opinion. I think that Cassis is just a, a much better here, a header. I, I, I think it's a different league. Uh, so you have four lefties that are locked to be above, or three lefties that are locked to be above him. Where can you uh, actually place Verdugo? It's, it's, I, I think that he's the first one to get traded. I, and I don't, it's weird to think that, but I, I don't know how long, how much longer he's actually going to be on this team. Yeah, that sort of kind of, yeah, where I'm at with him is he does feel like in terms of the movable pieces we have, it seems like Verdugo kind of makes the most sense of someone we could get something legit back for and doesn't really – doesn't fit in super well with this roster. Like, I mean, I, I love Verdugo, like, as a, as a player or as a, as a person, really. Like, he's a fun guy off the field. But it is that kind of question mark that he has, and if he doesn't hit well with us, he might need to have a different organization take a chance on him. So we might see him moved for another righty. So yeah, it's just kind of it's a it's a bit worrying with him. Seems like he could be that first guy moved. So yeah, hopefully, obviously, hopefully he this is his breakout season and he kind of shows of what he's capable of. But as of right now, it's kind of up in the air. Yeah, I I what a weird thing to be saying two years after he was traded here. I don't think that anyone anyone really would have expected this predicament, uh, especially not me. Even even before spring or before free agency started, I I just the addition of Masataki Yoshida has changed the dynamic of this lineup so much. It's really really shocking, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yoshida's definitely that. It was that surprise move in the off season. I don't think anyone was expecting us to to go out and instantly grab Yoshida. But, yeah, we did it. It's looking like a steal. But then, again, the consequences of that are it might be bumping some other guys off the roster. Yeah. Um, then two of the other guys are – I messed up. And then, finally, Adam Duvall, who will be playing center field, presumably, for the Red Sox this year, started about 0 for 400 and then has hit five consecutive home runs. At least that's what it feels like. He he went yard again today. I think that, that actually puts him at four home runs this spring. And like, I think he's seven of his last twenty. I mean, he's really been hitting the ball very well and slugging like six hundred in his past few days. Yeah, it's the Duval experience. People were I saw some people getting worried about him initially. They're kind of, huh? Duval striking out kind of a lot. It's kind of the whole be patient. He's going to strike out a lot. And now we're kind of seeing the flip side. He's just demolishing baseballs. And I think during the season, i got to keep the same mentality as he's going to strike out a lot, but I think he's going to hit a lot of home runs. So I'm not worried about him. I don't think we're in danger of seeing him being taken out by any of the different – like I don't think Tapia's going to overtake him or rest on or whatever. Like he's going to be fine. That's how spring training is. And right now you're seeing the the really the benefit of having that kind of three outcome type hitting. 
Yeah, I, to be perfectly honest, I was getting a little worried, um, especially right around the time he was 0 for 15 or whatever it was. Uh, right now, he's an OPS over 1,000. I'm not worried about it anymore. <laughs> um, he's like, uh, like you said, electric these past few, uh, uh, last past few days. We'll see how much of it can carry over into the last, or into the regular season. But yeah, uh, he looks good. The whole outfield, other than Verdugo, looks really good. The infield looks good. Catchy situation, obviously, still is a little, um, a little bit of concern. The starting rotation, kind of a little bit of concern. But the one thing that I thought was really sure heading into the spring training was the bullpen, and I'm not sure about it at all. <laughs> How do you think that this weird spring training has developed this bullpen well? Yeah, the bullpen has been just. It's been crazy. Like you got guys seemingly breaking out. Guys, uh, Caleb Ward, I think probably the biggest loser seems to be getting shelled. Probably, Ward's time is ticking. Like, I think in terms of forty man roster, who's dead last on it? Who's gonna get DFA first? Or is definitely there. I think Mosqueda's kind of looked good. You've had. Just so many, like, there's so many kind of question marks because a lot of these relievers have looked good. It's the question of who is going to be our, especially our lefty relievers, who's going to be there, who's going to actually end up be being making the roster as our relievers. It's a lot more question marks than I thought we had, to be honest. Yeah, I thought with the additions of Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, having Schreiber come off that dominant season – and getting some of the other guys, like, potentially model later on the year. But even some of the other guys, I thought that Zach Kelly would be good, maybe Caleb Ort. Um, I, I love the addition of Wyatt Mills. But even now, I don't feel sold on it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with Zach, uh, with Caleb Ort and Ryan Brazier. I, I don't think that they look good at all. If they were, if you were handing out DFAs, they were be probably top three, maybe top five. Or is number one. I mean, he has looked absolutely terrible this off this off season, or yeah. this spring training. I, I just he's untenably bad. There's no chance he can make the roster. He, I, it's shocking how terrible he looks. Yeah, it's it's definitely really concerning. And like you're saying, Brazier, I, he hasn't been too bad. Like obviously, he's had some really rough appearances. There's he hasn't been like shelled every pitch or anything, but again, he is kind of up there. And I don't know how long he's going to be on the roster. However, I do think there is a little bit of worry too with Schreiber because Schreiber hasn't people were kind of expecting that really dominant guy. It hasn't really looked like that so far in spring training, so that's another thing to keep an eye on. But then I I'm kind of I'm not super worried because we do have a lot of relievers kind of in the wings ready for an opportunity. So like you're saying, like, I mean, just look at our triple a pitchers and you can see a lot of guys who could be being called up sooner rather than later. If the relieving situation really goes south and then also you have kind of injuries as well. You had Holly Rodriguez get injured as again, that's going to be causing a shake up there. So it's really just, who kind of survives out of this kind of mess that it is right now will be really interesting to see. Yeah, I, I'm looking at this bullpen on Zach Prospects, the projected 40-man rosters. Schreiber, I I think he might get optioned. 
He looked good today. I, I'll give him that. But he's not look good this spring training. And I think that if you can get Schreiber down, maybe you don't want to burn an option for like a month. But if, if he continues to look as poor as he had, just no control, I'm 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 not sure how long of a leash he has before he does get optioned. Yeah, it's that's that's the problem. It's people people are kind of looking at Schreiber as that sort of lock is okay, this everyone else is kind of worrisome, but we got Schreiber. Schreiber's phenomenal. But the question is, is that the one year wonder, one hit wonder? And it's kind of sort of be able to keep that up right now. It's kind of people are getting more worried about that. And I think it's kind of the one benefit, it's not really a benefit, but one thing this might really do is just take guys like Whitlock or how it might just kind of force them back into that relief role. Because if you don't have Schreiber performing, it is just you kind of have to replace those guys. And Willock and Hauk might be the best options to replace those guys on the on the forty man, and so we we might be seeing sort of the starting pitching figure itself out just because the the relief pitching has all these problems and guys getting optioned or DFA or whatever. Yeah, um, I'm looking through it. Brazier, I I think he'll make the opening day roster because they really love. God only knows with that guy. Uh, maybe his fastball. I, I think that that's what they really like. I don't know what they see. I, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Brazier's he's managed to stick around for a while, so I would say I would not. I would not bet against him making the forty man at this point. Um, and then I do want to briefly talk about Wyatt Mills. He, I the entire time that I've seen him, I don't think I've seen him hit ninety two, and he has looked extremely good every single outing that I've seen him. I think that if he does make the opening day roster, which I think is probably 90% chance that he does, there's always, you know, off chance. I mean, he could always get injured. Maybe he gets optioned. I really do like Mills. I think that he could be a really solid, like maybe not setup guy, but a very good seventh, maybe sixth inning guy. I really do like him. Um, uh, Sox Prospects right now has Josh Minkowski projected to the bullpen. I'm not sure on that. Maybe they they, they use him for long relief, but I, I'm not sure on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Wyatt Mills is that he's taking advantage of sort of the confusion, and I think he's going to end up having a legit role on this roster. Winkowski, yeah, I don't know. He could be maybe that long relief emergency starter or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how – He's in a weird situation where he's not really a starter. He's not really a reliever. He's not really a triple-A guy. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up as well. I think Crawford as well is probably going to end up – I think he's probably the better option if we're going to have that long relief guy. I'd rather have Crawford than Winkowski. But... Well, they have, they have Crawford projected as the opening day rotation. Yeah, that's – that's the, that's the thing. is It's kind of a – I'd say just Crawford over Winkowski and kind of every – situation to be honest and so i think he can be a starter to start off with but that that brings up an interesting thing if you have crawford and winkowski in the opening day lineup who do you option down do you option winkowski and then have crawford come in as like the long relief guy i just feel like that's kind of weird to burn an option on winkowski for like uh, two weeks yeah it's such a it's kind of unfortunate situation with them where it's 
you kind of have you have to have them on the opening day roster because of injuries. But then, yeah, the the problem is you do have there's you don't have unlimited options, so you're gonna have to be smart about how they sort of deal with that situation. Whether we might see the Red Sox really kind of put themselves like they're in a weird situation where they might have to either burn an option or have a weird looking kind of group of relievers with Winkowski and Crawford and maybe DFA one of those guys to keep one one of those guys up and not wasting an option there. But it is just it's kind of a, a lose-lose situation there where you're going to have – you're going to either have to – like someone – something's going to have to break. And whether it's Bunkowski getting set down, Crawford, whoever, it's it's not going to be, I don't think, anyone's first choice of what they want to happen, but it's kind of inevitable at this point. Yeah. I, I Maybe we see one of those guys packaged in the trade along with, like, a Jaron Duran or Bobby Dahlbeck. I know that those are, you know, the most obvious trade names out of anyone in the entire roster. But Mm -hmm. I I do think that one of Bobby Dahlbeck and Jaron Duran are not going to make the opening day roster, and I don't know why you wouldn't trade them. I mean, I don't know what you can get. I know we traded Michael Chavis for, like, a half year of Austin Davis. I think you could do a little bit better that for Bobby Dahlbeck and Jaron Duran. Um but, you know, I, I, I just – why have them burning a roster spot if you're not going to use them? And I don't see where you use them unless you sign you chain the DFA a month later. I, I How is Bobby Dahlbeck going to make this roster? Yeah, I think Dahlbeck – I think Dahlbeck's just – I think he's done as a Red Sox. I don't think we've seen him in a Red Sox uniform playing any kind of baseball just because Casas, he's definitely – he's there. He is – he is the first baseman of the future. Dahlbeck had your chance, but kind of see you later type thing. It's yeah. just the it's an it's unfortunate. Like I think he maybe was a lot of Red Sox fans like him a lot and are kind of are hoping he'd be a lot more than what he was kind of been in a Red Sox uniform. And then Duran, I think I kind of I kind of want to keep Duran just because he is that. He does have that kind of compelling profile of he's he's fast and I think they're trying to do the the Jackie Bradley thing where they're trying to get him to sort of use that speed to turn into a plus outfielder and for whatever reason Duran has kind of been unable to to look good in any kind of capacity as a defender in the outfield and you just can't you can't put him out there just because of how much of a defensive liability he is so it just feels like those guys are kind of just they got to find another opportunity. And I, th- I do think that if you can package them together and then maybe with, like you're saying, it won't cost you Crawford, we could get something intriguing coming back to Boston, but it, it just does look like we're kind of just have to be moving on from them. And just teams, obviously, when trading for them, are kind of know that we have to move on from them. So that's, again, kind of sort of limiting what we get back. But – but, but other teams are also in this roster crunch. I mean, it, yeah, everyone has to get down to 26 and 40. So I, I it all depends. I, 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 you never know what's going to be offered whoever at any point. But yeah. I, I, I think that you can get a little bit more than you expect just if you can find the right buyer. Yeah, it, that's, that's really the question is, can we find someone that works for us? And I think I've seen some kind of – like uh, there haven't been – too many trade rumors around the Red Sox. The one guy which I do not like is Kalanick out of the 
the Mariners system, they're kind of another outfielder that way. I do not want him at all, but maybe we're looking at some kind of one of those guys like him who also is kind of in that ball back around situation where they don't, they're kind of time in the majors might be running out if they're not able to figure it out. Maybe we can find something else in a position we need, like middle infield, if we could find someone intriguing there, maybe. But yeah, as of right now, it's kind of, it's kind of see what we can get for him. And then finally, we're going to talk about Jolie Rodriguez. Uh, he had a grade two oblique string and will start the season on the 60 day IL. There's not really a good option to replace him. I, I He might be what we go after in one of those trades, a left-handed relief option. But you, right now we have Ryan Sheriff, O'Donner Mosqueda, who's never pitched above double A, Matt Dermody, uh, Chris Walter, and Brandon Murphy. I don't like any of those options except maybe Ryan Sheriff or Matt Dermody, and I'm not sold on any of them either. Yeah, I've hear, I'm hearing a lot of Muscata. People really like him. He's looked good. And Walter Murphy, I, I do like I do like Walter. I do think he has a lot of talent. But again, I wouldn't. I don't want to see him thrust into that role and kind of forced into it. Like you're saying, I think we could definitely trade for a guy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too happy trading for that kind of reliever just because, like, if you look at kind of the the classic, you look at Schreiber, you look at really a lot of good relievers that you could get them really cheaply. So I think we might need to make, we just might need to make a move and see who check the, check the waiver wire, see who's getting, who maybe has a talent and maybe just needs to come over here to figure it out. So I just, I don't know if I'd like trading for him an option there. And then obviously, I don't know. It's just, it's not a great situation to be in because there really isn't, any obvious answer or any obvious replacement. I probably, if I had to go with someone, I'd probably lean Mosqueda just because, I mean, his stuff has looked good. Again, he hasn't pitched in AAA. That would be quite a leap, but if it's just kind of a, not a, it's not a great situation to be in. And it's kind of, hopefully we can have someone break out, but they're just, there's no one I feel confident in taking that spot for sure. Yeah, I, I I understand the Mosqueda hype. I, I know that the Red Sox really do value him, at least really liked him as a, a potential option early in the spring. I just, I am not sold on any of these guys. If I, I understand your concern about trading for a reliever because of the volatility, I just think that that's, that might be the entire roster's biggest concern right now is left-handed relief pitching. Because outside of Richard Blyer, who is solid but not locked down, I'm not sold on anyone uh, in, in the entire organization, really. Yeah, it's, it is it is a frustrating situation. I think it would be, it'd be definitely frustrating to sort of burn those pretty good trade pieces on left reliever. We may, I don't know, might be able to see. Well, here, here, if you could do um... – Let's say Bobby Dalbeck, Jaron Duran, uh, and a mid-tier Red Sox prospect for a high-end left-handed reliever, a Josh Hader type, although I don't think that they're going to get Josh Hader specifically. Like, would you do that? I, I think I think I probably would, just as of right now. I don't think – it's one of those things where I, I wouldn't be too happy about it, but if, if there is – 
a guy like that on the table, I think you just you have to do it. And obviously, I don't mean Josh Hader. I don't mean like yeah. the, the A caliber. I mean like a B caliber. You're not going to get Josh Josh Hader for that. Um, but I, I I think that you can get a solid left-handed reliever for uh, weird. Um, I don't know, weird package of those guys. I really don't know what the trade market's like right now, especially because we haven't seen any trades in a few months. It's really been a pretty dry trade market for the past year. Yeah, that's... Outside of one Soto. Exactly, and the Soto thing, even then, it was just he really had to force the national to move on there, and we just kind of haven't seen anyone moving. I think it feels like, I don't know, I think with big trades like that, I think sort of – it was interesting to get from the Padres' perspective because they just threw a ton for Soto and really not that much of Soto. Like it could be, I don't know, with what they're doing, they, like they could only be seeing sort of last year of Soto and then this year, and then they might they might move on from or trade him again. And I think that kind of affected the trade market in a way that I don't think people are kind of – I think people are nervous because they say – they saw that trade and they're kind of like, we need someone else to reset the market so I can actually get that decent return back for these players. But other than that, it's just, it's it's really weird that there hasn't been anything outside of those kind of tiny moves of kind of, yeah, let's trade. I don't know. There's the, like the, the Inmir Lobo trade. Let's trade our international free agent guy. Let's go trade a guy who's barely playing professional baseball for somebody else who's really just maybe a reliever or something. It, it'll be interesting to see what kind of breaks first and who's going to get moved. Like there's, yeah, just really not, there's not a lot of talk going on of who's getting traded apart from guys you feel should be traded. But again, I just haven't seen any rumors of where Duran, who wants Duran, Dahlbeck. I think the last thing for Red Sox was really the, the whole Marlins trade thing where it's like, they wanted Casas really bad, and obviously we weren't going to trade him for anyone other than Alcantara. But just it's just really dry right now. Yeah, I I we'll see. I, I we obviously me and me and Will have no idea what the trade market looks like. Uh, if it, I, there was no chance we were ever going to trade Casas, especially not for. Edward Cabrera or Pablo Lopez, just you, like you said, it would have to be for Stanley Alcantara. I, 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 there's clearly some moves that have to be made, but there were clearly moves that had to be made for last year's roster. I, we shouldn't have had Jack Bradley Jr. starting in right, and we shouldn't have Richard Blair be the only left-handed relief option. Uh, we'll see what the move is. We'll see if there is a move. Um, but until that, I think that's everything. Yeah, I just the one thing I have to say is enjoy the World Baseball Classic and get prepared for opening day. It's it's coming up sooner rather than later. Yeah, and shout out to Jared Carabas if you're still listening to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just the people who aren't on the Twitter thing, Jared Carabas was he, – he once said he wouldn't listen to our podcast, but he's turned around. His World Baseball Classic tweets have been phenomenal, so he's – I'm going to label him as an unofficial friend of the show for now. And yeah, very, very, unofficial. very, very unofficial. Very unofficial. Yeah. <laughs> it might just be a one way friendship, but still, still. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, for now, I think that'll be the final. 
everything's wrapped up. We'll talk to you guys next time.